Welcome to Nightlock, a Hunger Games podcast. Hi, I'm Kira, and welcome to episode 51 of Nightlock Podcast, where we cover anything and everything related to the Hunger Games franchise through news stories, book analysis, fan fictions, related music, product reviews, as well as other fun segments. So as I announced in August, we're changing things here up at Nightlock Podcast. We have started featuring guest hosts on the show. Uh, sadly, Matt Mariah will no longer be permanent host of the show, but you may hear from them again. Never know. Um, it's just a little too busy for all of us to record as we're all in college and college is in full swing. So, it's hard enough managing my time to do this, so, um, but it's totally worth it. And today on the show, we have guest host, who is a longtime listener of the show. Welcome to the show, Haley. Hi. So happy to have you on. Thank you. Great episode. So, we've started covering two chapters an episode again, just like the old days when we did uh, Hunger Games. So this month, we're discussing Catching Fire chapters 23 and 24, and we're trying to target ourselves so that we finish all the chapters before the movie comes out. And I think we should be good. So Haley will be leading us for the exciting Jabberjay scene, and she also has a new segment to debut on the show. So lots of fun stuff on the show. She also, as a bookworm, like me, has a few great reads to recommend. So it really is another packed episode, so you're not going to want to miss it. So stay tuned. All right, now moving on to our next segment, Through the Eyes of Katniss Everdeen. I almost want to get um, uh, Caesar Flickerman and, and just edit him in saying Katniss Everdeen because he says it so well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be a good intro to the show. Maybe someday I'll do that. <laughs> um, so we left off um, back in August. Chris, who was a guest host on the show, um, did chapter 22 and that we left off with Wyra saying TikTok and finally Katniss gets it TikTok this is a clock which is actually the last lines in there so chapter 24 um Katniss is kind of at the beginning just kind of processing all of this and she says each hour begins a new horror um and she's kind of listing all the horrors that they've experienced so far or know of uh the lightning blood rain fog the monkeys um and she's saying those are kind of the first four hours on the clock and so um she's not only you know processing this just in her own head she's processing this with the other tributes and once she's doing so she's also kind of talking to wires because obviously this was kind of her idea and uh, relief floods Wyrus's face. And, you know, she's just so happy that finally someone understands her because BT has been kind of unconscious throughout this. Um, and he's the one that understands Wyrus. So finally kind of Katniss jumps in and, and takes the lead on that. Um, so, Haley, does it surprise you that Katniss understood what Wyrus meant by TikTok? Um, a little bit. Because usually Katniss isn't the one who figures out stuff i mean she's like smart in her own way but usually it's Peta who ends up figuring out something but um katniss is really smart in her own way i just didn't think she would figure out this it is a little weird it's a little out of character for her um definitely agree that Peta usually is like the people person and he understands people better or katniss kind of usually doesn't get hints and everything and um and if it wasn't Peta, I would think maybe Finnick, um, because yeah. he's been a victor for obviously longer than Katniss and Peta, and so he probably knows Wyrus like a little bit more. And so you know, the longer you know someone, the more you can understand them. So I just I wonder if you know, it, I feel like it would make more sense if Peta or Finnick figured it out. Um, but a lot of times it's like the author always has like the main character figure all this out even if it's out of character for that main character i said character like three times <laughs> yeah but yeah it, it seems a little weird but i guess it's just so that we can 
kind of experience it through Katniss's eyes, <laughs> through the eyes of Katniss yeah. Everdeen. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess that makes sense, but it, I don't know. It could have been a shining moment for Peta because he hasn't had many of those in the arena so far. Yeah. Um, so then at this point, Katniss remembers Plutard's watch, which is a major moment that, um, you know, obviously we just had uh, her figuring out that the arena is a clock, but now she's kind of got all these puzzle pieces and she's found a, finally figuring out kind of where everything goes and how it all connects and what the big picture is. And so she says, um, quote, maybe this had been been a plan all along, which <laughs> it was. So uh, it's it's kind of interesting when you read back and then you see like these little, uh, you know, kind of not throwbacks, but throw forwards, I guess, yeah. um, to like, you know, connect. It's like, oh, it is a plan. And so it's it's fun while you're rereading it to see stuff like that. that you notice like, oh, like that connects and definitely makes it um, interesting to reread. So speaking of like uh, being out of character, Joanna um, was kind of talking about the wire that BT has been kind of holding on to. And it's very important, which we kind of learn later on why it's so important. Um, and so she doesn't really understand why it's important when she, well, she's letting on that she doesn't know why it's important when she really, she does know. And Katniss kind of catches her on that. And we know that Joanna knows because she nicknamed BT Vaults because of his stunt in his original games. And that's how he won the, his original games by using the wire to kind of fry other tributes. So, and then this kind of starts a whole fight between Katniss and Joanna, and um, Joanna says kind of a mean line saying, um, guess I must have been distracted by keeping your little friends alive while you were what again? Getting Mags killed off. So that obviously kind of pisses Katniss off, and um, she's kind of ready to attack, and Joanna kind of retorts with, I don't care if you're knocked up, I'll rip your throat out, so... I really hope that quote's in the movie. Yeah, me too. That'd be great. It, especially, like, the delivery needs to be right. Yeah. And I almost think the delivery should be more of, like, not, like, screaming it, but kind of, like, a harsh, like, soft way of saying it. Yeah, that's um, exactly how I, like, pictured it while I was reading. Yeah, she's like, I don't care if you're knocked up. I'll rip your throat out. Something like that, you know? <laughs> Obviously. Uh, much better actor would do that, not me, but... <laughs> Um, so good old Finnick breaks the tension, um, with another one of his ideas. Um, it seems like he's kind of the leader and he's kind of pointing people in the right direction. Um, so he's, his idea is to go to the cornucopia. And so as they're walking there, Kat is kind of just thinking to herself and she starts kind of thinking about how she's going to have to, well, at least she thinks she's going to, uh, kill off other tributes, especially the people in her alliance. And she says, Joanna, I could easily kill if it came down to protecting PETA. Uh, and then she goes on to say something like, you know, maybe even not to protect PETA just to kill her wouldn't be a big deal. Um, so it kind of shows how Katniss has changed a lot since the original games where, you know, killing people was a really big deal to her and she did not want to do that. But, you know, now a year later, it's she's a changed woman and she um, she doesn't have the same morals as she did before. Um, and she's going on about also how she can't kill Fennec. It's just too hard. He's done too much to protect PETA, and, um, they've kind of become close, uh, these past couple weeks, um, you know, pre-game stuff and, you know, in the games. And another one of, uh, I almost said Jen, Katniss's funny, <laughs> funny lines here. Uh, the only thing that distracts me from my current situation is fantasizing about killing President Snow. Not very pretty daydreams for a 17-year-old girl, I guess, but very satisfying. <laughs> I wonder if what would have happened if, like, the uh, the plan to get every the tributes out of the arena didn't happen and the games just went on as planned. Like <gasps> That would be I such wonder, a good what-if question. I don't... I wonder because it would probably go, be down to Joanna... Katniss, Peta, and Finnick. Yeah. And I know, I, I just don't know what would happen. I feel like someone would figure out, like, another Nightlock stunt where, um, you know, they use the Nightlock barrier to say, hey, you're not going to have a victor. But 
I think at this point, the capital, like, she even says in chapter 26 or 27 that, you know, maybe the capital doesn't care if they have a victor. They'll kill us all off. She's like, maybe that was their original plan. So, yeah, even even if the tributes, like, tried to pull something off where, like, they were kind of threatening the capital, they probably wouldn't be able to get out. Um, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, and, and I didn't think about that until I recently, you know, a couple of days ago, reread um, that chapter. And, and I was like, that's interesting because, you know, Seneca Crane let Katniss and Peeta live because he thought not having a victor would be worse than having two. Um, whereas now I feel like in the capital's eyes, it's better to have no uh, victor. So, But then you have to think, what would the capital citizens do if there ended up being no victors yeah they would probably rebel against the capital as well and they have like a full-blown rebellion it'd probably make things worse yeah i don't know though that's an interesting question though i I feel like if it came down it would i think it would come down to the four people you mentioned joanna finnick katniss and Peta. but i think they would all just kill themselves i think at that point um, cause Katniss even mentioned some, actually, no, in the last chapter, Finnick and Katniss are kind of like talking and they're, they're kind of saying like, maybe death would be better, best for everyone. Um, and Finnick is even saying like, I wish Annie was dead. So nothing would happen to her like bad. And so they, yeah, they'd probably kill themselves and we wouldn't have a third book. <laughs> so if all the victors ended up, did end up killing themselves. Or maybe the capital ended up killing them in whatever way they did. Would they kill off their, their families, too, or whoever they cared about? Huh. I, I don't know. I, I guess at that point, there's no, like, protecting, like... Because one of the reasons that the capital hasn't killed Katniss and Peeta at this point is because if they killed them, they'd have even more of an uprising on their hands so yeah i think to kill their families that would just it depends if it would get out in the public yeah because if it did get out in the public that would be very bad for the capital but if they could just do it without anyone knowing then i think they would definitely do it but i think i think someone would end up finding out because you have like Peta says and i think the next chapter that if or i think it was joanna says that everybody loves katniss's little sister so i don't think it would be i don't think it would be easy to kill her off if everybody loves her yeah especially like annie would be hard to kill off because she's also a victor so she's still kind of in in the whole like in in the lens of the camera i guess that's not really right to say but anyway um yeah people that are in in the public eye, that's what I'm trying to say. People that are in the public eye would be harder to kill off. Like, killing off Gale would not be very hard because he's not really in the public eye. Or uh, important. Yeah, or important. In anyone's eyes, really. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's a very interesting question. You listeners should email in and say what you think would happen if uh, their plan, their master plan to escape the arena didn't happen. Um, that's an interesting question. Definitely. So the next discussion question I have is uh, Katniss mentions the careers, which, as we know, are usually made up tributes from uh, districts one, two and four. And they're also typically like the strongest and they've they've like prepared for the games and their whole life has been like about, you know, being a good tribute, uh, except in these games, because these are all victors. So it's a little different. But um, so my question is, isn't Katniss's alliance more like the careers in these games yeah definitely like not only are they like the most skilled i guess you could say um but they're also the youngest in the in the game so it gives them more of an edge yeah i mean i understand that like usually the careers are from the districts i mentioned but everyone in her alliance are the strongest players whether that be physically or you know they've got really good skills with weapons um you know stuff like that but it seems weird that she's calling other people the careers because she's the careers now um she's part of them so um i guess it would have been confusing if susan collins started calling them the careers because then it's like oh but they're not all from these you know districts and everything so yeah 
So once they're at the cornucopia, they're talking about Wyrus. And, you know, because she's figured this whole thing out and she's really smart. Um, and then BT says, she's more than smart, she's intuitive. And then they start comparing Wyrus to Canaries. And Katniss kind of chimes in at this point and says that District 12 uses canaries in the mines so that once the canary stops singing, you know there's a problem and everybody's got to get out of the mines. Um, and so they're saying wires is kind of like their canary. So Katniss mentioned something interesting, um, saying most of the other tributes learn something about their trade early on, unlike District 12 when you can't get into the mines until you're 18. Um, which I think puts, you know, District 12 at a huge disadvantage. Yeah, it's like it's a little bit different because District 12 is solely they have mining while the other other districts like especially the career districts, they have stuff that aren't as tasking, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, because you can't really send children into the mines. It's more of a, a liability than something that's going to end up helping the capital or the district. So, yeah, they probably have too many deaths where it's just like it's not worth it not even in the capital like oh we don't want to kill them because they don't care it's more about just like oh that's not worth putting kids in the mind because then we got to take care of their dead bodies and everything which is morbid yeah. but uh definitely true um yeah because like katniss says that they could learn how to you know welding a pick and blowing things up definitely give them an edge in the arena um and so they're at the cornucopia right now um, and I was kind of thinking in the movie, they, the cornucopia was much different from the book. Yeah. Do you think they're going to have the cornucopia like the same as last film or what do you think how they're going to adapt it? No, I think it's going to be different because cinematically wise, it, the first movie and the second movie, like so far as we've seen from the trailers for Catching Fire are both really different they have, like, a different tone to it, I guess you could say. So you have, I think the cornucopia and Catching Fire is going to be a little bit more sleek. Probably it's going to be probably the same color, but it's not going to be as, like, chunky-ish and boxy as yeah. the first movie was. Yeah, the first movie, it was, like, very futuristic, which obviously fits in with, you know, being in the future. But it was a little, yeah, too, like, boxy and little too futuristic yeah um, i wasn't i mean i liked that it was really different um uh, but it was a little bit kind of off for me um and i almost wonder like if they'll have it be gold i, I just don't know if that will come off as corny mm, I, th- I think it all depends like because i mean it's not very important like what color it is for right. the story <laughs> But it it just all depends on what looks good on camera. Yeah. So if you have, like, because in, I don't know, I guess it, yeah. This all depends on the camera work and, like, the whole tone of the film overall and, like, the color tones that they have used mostly. Yeah. And from the trailers, like, the color tones seem to be kind of, like, warmer than the other films. Yeah. Like, there's more of like a red orange um and then once we're in the arena obviously um the color tones are probably going to change to be more like blue and green because they're in the jungle um yeah but, so i don't know i think silver would look best but yeah M- most like neutral color that it's not gonna like stick out and look really awkward yeah but i mean the cornucopia isn't as important in this book as you know the hunger games because in the hunger games that's where the like the final scenes happen but it's yeah. more just a marker than anything else there um, so Peta kind of figures out that the tail of the cornucopia points to the 12. And I'm not sure, like, where he got this information or how he figured it out. Um, I don't know. I think Peta's really observant. So. Yeah. And probably he's looking at, well, uh, you know, if this happened here at this time, then this must be, then the cornucopia must be pointing to 12. I guess that's how you'd figure it out. Um. Yeah. So he's drawing a map on a leaf so they can kind of have a reference. And so they're all kind of chiming in and helping him, like, figure out where each, like, horror is. 
And so 12 to 1 is lightning, 1 to 2 is the blood rain that Joanna and BT and Wyrus went through. Um, 2 to 3 is the fog, and 3 to 4 is the monkeys. Um, and then they also uh, remember that the wave is from 10 to 11. Uh, so, wanna... go ahead. Oh, I wanted to know, I want to know what else is, like, in the other sections. Yeah, I wonder if we'll see that more. Or, like, we'll see something off in the distance that happens and, like, you know, not have yeah. it be a huge part. But, um, I mean, we are hearing that we're going to have an hour in the arena for the movie. So, we have a lot of time to explore. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, a lot does happen, but they'll probably, you know, they're obviously going to take some things out to have it flow better and all of that. But yeah, I'm thinking we're going to like learn a couple new things. And I would hope that Susan Collins would, you know, tell Francis Lawrence, because the first thing Francis Lawrence did as a director is he met with Susan Collins in New York City just to like go over things which good step as a director to meet with the <laughs> author of the book. So I'm liking Francis Lawrence. Um, so I wonder if like, you know, she told him things that weren't in the book so that he could expand the world and still be kind of correct with it. Yeah. Um, that would be really cool. Um, so it gets a little too quiet uh, where they are. And so Katniss notices that the canary stopped singing because Wires was singing before. Um, and Gloss has killed Wyrus, and all of this happens really fast. Um, it's only in, like, a page or so. Um, then Katniss kind of shoots Gloss right away and pretty much kills him. Um, then Joanna um, throws an axe into Kashmir's chest. Finnick knocks a spear away from Peta that was kind of going towards him and saves him, uh, but, and uh, Brutus threw the spear. And because Kat or not Katniss, <laughs> Finnick... Uh, saved Peta. He um, got a knife in the thigh from Enobaria. Um, so it's just kind of one thing after another. You kind of have to read it twice to like really get everything that's going on. Um, and if that wasn't enough action, the circle of sand that the cornucopia is on, that they're all on, starts to spin rapidly. So as soon as kind of it stops spinning and everyone gets their bearings, uh, Vaults or BT is in the water. So Finn goes out and gets him. Um, and as he's doing so, Katniss is kind of looking all around for the wire. She doesn't know why it's important, but she knows it's important to BT. And if he risks his life getting it, obviously Katniss should find it. Uh, yeah. So she finds it in Wires's hands. Um, and Wires is dead at this point. Uh, and she's floating dead in the water. Um, and so once Katniss kind of has her hands on the wire, she kind of notices that it's this, like, golden color. And it's, quote, fine as a piece of hair. Which I didn't picture this until she explained it. I just assumed it was, like, one of those, like, cables where it's just, like, you know, yeah. kind of long and, like, you just kind of coil it up. Um, yeah, that's how I pictured it, too. Yeah, and then, like, much thicker. Uh, just because I've never seen a piece of wire that's, like, miles long that's golden. It just didn't occur to me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see it visually in the movie. Um, so then they all kind of want to, like, move on and get away from the cornucopia because who knows if that will happen again. Uh, so they're trying to figure out which way to go. Because the cornucopia spun, now they don't know which which uh way is 12 because the tail is now pointing probably in a different spot so they kind of just randomly pick a uh route to go on um and while they're walking of course Katniss starts thinking as she always does and she's kind of starting to finally catch on that everyone is protecting PETA and they're and they're not only protecting PETA, but they're also protecting Katniss because we find out in the last chapter that um, they all kind of agreed, the other tributes that were in on the plan agreed that they would risk their lives for Katniss and PETA. Now, the weird thing is, though, th there's never a point where, as far as I can remember, where they risk their lives for Katniss or, like, they're protecting Katniss. Yeah, at least not that we specifically uh, read about. Right. I mean, not until the end. I'm saying, like, yeah, like, yeah. at this point. 
because um, there's been quite a few instances of protecting PETA. Finnick helping him off the platform right at the beginning. Yeah. Because PETA can't swim. Um, Finnick, uh, you know, kissing or reviving him back <laughs> to life. Uh, Mags killing herself so that Finnick could carry PETA. The morphling from District 6 protecting PETA from the monkey during the attack. Uh, and, you know, just now, Finnick blocking Brutus's spear and um and once they settle into camp um now where we are in the chapter joanna wants peter to draw a map and not go into the jungle because that's a little more risky um and so katniss kind of gets a little like defensive and is like that's my job to protect peter what are they doing (laughs) when it's like they're just trying to help katniss let it go um but i wonder if they're not kind of protecting Katniss is more because Katniss can protect herself for the most part. Whereas yeah. Pete is kind of just a lost cause at most points. And also like, I think they know, especially cause I think Finnick notices earlier in the book that if Peta were to die, it would like completely destroy Katniss. Definitely. Yeah. And they even say that later on that, they, that Hamish says in the last chapter that if they didn't save Peta and Peta died, Katniss would be no help to them yeah so katniss starts talking about how Peta is or would be like a better leader um and she kind of explains he can use his words um and he kind of has this like underlying goodness and because of you know this combination he can really like move a country yeah and she says those are the qualities a leader of our revolution should have and it kind of just points to Katniss's character that she she is selfless for the most part and that she she doesn't like being the center of attention and you know we see that every time the two of them are in an interview like she tries to have Pete answer the most questions because she she's not good with her words she's not very um professional or anything where Pete has those skills um and it kind of makes me think like like, yeah, Katniss is the one that kind of, like, pulled the Nightlock stunt at the beginning, but I feel like Peta really would be a better leader and everything. And I don't really know why everyone is putting that pressure on Katniss. Just a little weird. I don't know. I feel like Peta yeah. would just do a better job with everything. He could be the Mockingjay, you know? Um, so then we end the chapter with a cliffhanger, as we always do, and Katniss hears a familiar scream and so right away she's like i must protect her um and she's of course talking about her little sister prim so that's chapter 23 and we can move on to chapter 24 so we start 24 chapter 24 with katniss hearing prim screaming um so she runs into the forest and starts calling for her and I think this is one of the most efficient ways that the game makers can hurt Katniss. Definitely. Um, it's just because Kat- they know how much Katniss cares about her sister. So Yeah, they go right for the heart. Yeah. Um, and this is actually like the one of the few times that you see Katniss unhinged. Like you see it at the end of the Hunger Games when um, they take Peta away to like do do surgery or whatever right on him his leg yeah yeah Um, i mean go ahead definitely like this this idea of kind of crippling the tributes with what they love the most is is a you know horrible way to do it but as you said very effective because they don't even think about running they just do it because they want to save the people they love so yeah definitely an effective way to you know cut at their hearts yeah and katniss has a quote and and says it wasn't real the same way the mutation wolves last year weren't really the dead tributes and i think it really points to how completely fake the capital is because you see it in the capital just like with the people and then it gets reinforced in the games yeah and it also shows how the capital can manipulate anything yeah So um, then another scream starts, and this time it's Annie. Um, And this is the first mention of her character, I think. Yeah, I believe you're right. 
Um, so Fennec starts running um, to get to her voice. And what I like, what is like the biggest question is where did they get those screams? I'm kind of thinking like, um, I can't remember which chapter, but it, obviously it's a later chapter because they're talking about the Jabberjays. But I think BT mentioned something like this is kind of easy to do technologically that if they just have a recording of their voice, which they have recordings of both Prim and Annie's voice, you know, Annie, I'm sure through many interviews because she was a victor herself and Prim through, you know, like when Katniss was doing her video for uh, showing off her dresses that she designed, um, you know, Prim was talking to cameras. But I don't know how like they could manipulate it so much to make it sound like them exactly. Because it doesn't take Katniss or Finnick even, like, a second to process whose voice it is. They know it automatically. Yeah. Which, yeah, it sounds crazy that they'd be able to do that. But I I do remember BT mentioning, like, in a later chapter that, like, that's something that is relatively easy. It sounds like it'd be very difficult. But I guess just, like, you know, we're so far in the future that kind of technology exists where you can take a recording of someone's voice and hear them screaming or, you know, like, manipulate it. Um, and he, I think he even says that that's something that like, you know, kids learn how to do in school, uh, you know, that kind of technology. So yeah, when I was first reading, I was like, how did they get these voices? Like I assumed reading for the first time that they tortured them and then they recorded it. Um, but I think if that was the case, we would, it would be mentioned in Mockingjay from the characters. Um, after she catches up with Finnick, another scream stars and this time it's Gale um and even though Katniss knows it's the Jabberjays who are making this noise still Gale screams make her want to go and run and find the source of it and I guess it really points to how completely emotional this is even though she knows it's fake she still wants to run and find it where Peta or Joanna is um and she starts thinking like why didn't they come and find us and Katniss finds out that there's, like, a barrier separating them, the entire region, from everything else. And, like, what, what I wonder is, like, like, what is the barrier? Because she says it's not, like, a force field because it's not, like... It's probably something you can, like, step through. Like, I imagine that's how everything is separated, that the other, like, the blood rain and all that, like, as soon as you get out of that section, you're fine. And, like, the fog, like, you could actually see it all kind of collecting at this one point because it couldn't go past a certain point. Um, So, yeah, it's probably, like, these lines drawn by the game makers that um, prevent horrors from, you know, leaking into other categories. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because I guess... um like, during the fog chapter, like, once they get out of the section, the fog starts, like, building up. Right, yeah, you can see it kind of all cloud near there. Kind of like it's, there's a glass wall there and it can't get past it. Okay, um, so after they figure out that they can't get through, um, the screams start again. And this time it's, it's not only Gail and Prim, but her mom and Madge and um, tons of other people that Katniss cares about. Right. Um, and she, like, pretty much lays down in the forest floor and just waits until um, the screams stop. And I just, I can't wait to see this in the movie. Yeah, I'm thinking that it's going to be, like, really quick. That they're just going to hear the screams and then realize that nothing's wrong and they'll, like, move on. So I don't think they'll, like, have her, like, lie down and stuff. Yeah. But, um, we might see her kind of, like, like just kind of crouch and, like, cover her ears. Um kind of like how after Rue died like same kind of like stance but I think Jen's acting in this is going to be like probably one of the best parts of the movie yeah I mean we've seen the part where she's uh you know put into the arena right after Cinna's death um but yeah this is we haven't seen this yet so it's it's going to be quite spectacular yeah um and I think even though we've seen throughout both the Hunger Games and the part uh, and, and catching fire that Katniss is like in a really really emotionally strong person but this is the thing that like completely breaks her and like you don't and because you think of her as emotionally strong but then this is the thing that ends up completely breaking her down yeah it like destroys her it's kind of like her Achilles heel is her family as most people's yeah are or the people she loves 
because Gail's not technically family, so. Yeah. And then what I wondered um, is why didn't Katniss hear PETA screams? Like, even though I guess PETA's there and she, and she knows he's there, but I think, I don't know. I think this would make sense because to include PETA's scream because then she would actually think it's real because PETA's in the arena. Yeah. So she would be kind of going crazy looking all over the place. And while doing so, she wouldn't really be protecting yourself. So she'd be more vulnerable to like an attack. Um, Yeah. So I don't know why they didn't use it. I guess like they're just showing that this is like Susan Collins is showing the reader that the Capitol is just manipulating everyone. So if they started doing PETA's screams, it probably would have gotten too involved where she kind of like wants to, you know, move the book along, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it would have been really effective if she did end up writing using PETA screams and that. Yeah, it would have worked really well, yeah. And um, so the screaming finally stops after a long time. And PETA comes in and consoles Katniss. Um, and Katniss, I don't know, she's just really not making sense here, I guess you could say. Um, it's just for, like, that thing was so emotionally emotionally draining. Um, so PETA says to Katniss that, she, that he knows that Prim is safe because they ha- that, they're in the final eight or soon to be the final eight victors in the games and that they interview the friends and family. Oh, yeah, that's a good way to, like, know that they didn't get the audio from, like, you know, uh, torturing them and stuff. Um, of yeah. course, with these games, you never know because everything seems to be different, that they're not really yeah. going with old tradition. Yeah. And uh, PETA has a quote, which I think is really powerful, I guess. It says, but we're the only ones who can be, can be hurt by it. We're the ones in the games, not them. Right. So, and that's kind of calming to know. It's like, all right, this isn't hurting them. It's only hurting me. So it kind yeah. of, yeah, it's reassuring. Um, and then on, then Johanna um, says a couple of words that are really um, uprising-ish. She says, um, Of course, Pete is right. The whole country adores Katniss's little sister. If they really killed her like this, they'd probably have an uprising on their hands. Don't want that, do they? Whole country in rebellion wouldn't want anything like that. Which is, like, really intense. Because Joanna knows that she can't really be hurt in any way, and she says that she doesn't have anyone who the Capitol can hurt for her words. So, and I guess she knows also because she's part of a of the plan for the rebellion so yeah I, I would say that oh like the game makers could hurt her but the head game maker is plutard so he's not gonna yeah. hurt her so i guess she can kind of do no wrong unless president snow sees this and he orders plutard to like kill her or something um, yeah but they're so close to you know executing their plan of escape that I think Plutar could just, like, hold him off and say, yeah, I have plans, and then not yeah, not kill Joanna. Um, and so, yeah, she's just um, kind of adding fuel to the fire with that statement, yeah. Yeah. And so you have Joanna say, you finally find out that about, like, if Joanna has any friends or family, she says, they can't hurt me. I'm not like the rest of you. There's no one left I love. And I guess you really think, like, what happened to Joanna's friends and family yeah, I mean, I wonder if they were maybe in the games and they were killed, but if that was the case, we probably would hear about it. Um, yeah. Or if, you know, she just had, like, something happened to her parents and, you know, maybe she didn't have any siblings, so she didn't have that many people to start with, but... Or it could be, like, because um, Finnick um, list- did what the Capitol wanted him to do, but I guess oh. Johanna didn't want to do that, so maybe they killed off her friends and family because of that because she didn't listen to them and didn't do what the capital wanted her to do yeah that's an interesting theory i like that one (laughs) i'm gonna go with that one (laughs) (laughs) so um they start talking about annie and how she won her games um because she knew how to swim and i'm just gonna say that is the that is extremely lucky because she 
even before she wins the game, she goes like completely insane because she sees her district partner decapitated. So and right, and who wouldn't go insane after seeing that? Yeah, and she just won because she could swim. Yeah, and it and it kind of like just reminds us that Annie is not like. I mean, I wouldn't say she's a fighter. She's really weak, um, you know, in the mind and everything, and like that she can't really uh like support herself or like kind of keep going and um and growing up in district uh four obviously you you're gonna know how to swim really well so it was kind of just instinct that kicked in and she just started swimming and yeah but uh it kind of shows how she's not as strong as Finnick or Katniss yeah um so they start uh talking again and I think it's PETA who says that or Katniss that says that two-thirds of tributes are gone in a day and a half yeah i remember reading that and being like like oh wow like that's that's a really short amount of time and i was trying to like remember like how long the uh 74th games were and they were like two weeks or something like that yeah yeah so i mean it's just showing how desperate the capital is they just want these games done and over and just kill off as many of these victors they can yeah and then, so they receive bread from BT's district. And Finnick is like, I don't know, he's just really possessive over it, I guess you could say. He's like holding them and counting them. And right. I don't know if, why he's like so obsessed with the bread. Well, we learn later that uh, the number of pieces of bread represent like oh, the yeah. hour, right? And then the, which I, I forgot about that. I just, you know, I, I completely like, forgot that. <laughs> yeah. And I knew it had to do something with like a sign, but I couldn't remember exactly what it was. Um, yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay. It's like 24. The pieces of bread represent the hour. And then the, um, wherever the bread is from is the day. So a cool little like code that they've got going on. Yeah. Okay, um, so they go back. They go back to the beach, and Peta and Katniss have some alone time. And the sweetest quote ever, because I love Peta, and he says, "You're my whole life." And he starts talking about that if Katniss died, he wouldn't have a life to go back to. Um, but if Peta died, Katniss has her sister and her mom and Gail. And yeah. Yeah, it's very true. Like, uh, Peta does have Hamish, and I would say, you know, his parents and brother. Um, but they don't the really moment. need him. But yeah, they're not, they don't seem that close. That, you know, even like uh, Peta's mom, when Peta was um, first chosen at the reaping, that, you know, she was saying, well, at least we'll have a, a victor this year from District 12, meaning Katniss. It's like they did not have a good relationship. So Katniss is definitely more vital in people's lives than Peta. And I not, it's not just, like, emotionally, it's also, like, physically, because if Katniss died, um, Prim and her mom would have to move back to the seam. Yeah. And Katniss's mom would start to have to provide food again, and you never know, she could go back into a depression because her oldest daughter died. Yeah, I, I would think she would, and Prim would be off to fend for herself, but I think Gail would step up to the plate, and they would probably, like, yeah, move in together or something, or, like, Gail would just, like, take care of um, Katniss's mom and, and Prim. Because they have had that understanding that if something happened to the other person, that, you know, they would help their family. Yeah. So, Peta gives Katniss a locket, and it has um, her family and Gail in the, in the locket. And Peta says... Not ex- ex- in these ex- in these exact words, but says that if I die, you can go and marry Gail and become his family. And I don't know. I just I think this shows how completely selfless Peta is. Yeah, I think he's way more selfless than Katniss. Yes, uh, he just has like kind of I don't know if this is the right phrase, but like pure intentions that. He really does care what's best for Katniss, and it doesn't matter how that affects him. Yeah. Um, so this is the chapter that Katniss realized that, realizes that she does need PETA in her life. And, like, for me, this is the moment that I think Katniss really fell in love with PETA. Yeah, I would have to agree on that. Yeah, it's like I always think about, like, oh, what is the moment, but... This might be the moment for me as well that I'm like, all right, Katniss is really 
in love with him. Um, it might be, though, like, later when PETA is no longer, um, like, with him. Like, after Joanna attacks Katniss and she's going for PETA, like, she really... She's risking her life at that point. Whereas, like, before, like, she keeps saying she's going to risk her life, but she never actually, like, does it. She doesn't have that opportunity. Yeah. And then, so they have a kiss, or more than a kiss, like... Little make-out little... session. <laughs> yeah. And, I don't know, it's just Kat... PETA is always putting Katniss first. And, like we said, like I that like we said, that this just points to how completely self- selfless um, he is. And so at the very end of the chapter, Peta tells Katniss that she'll be a good mother, which signals the end of their, like, private conversation. And I don't know. I, I don't know if Katniss would be a good mom. I mean, she takes care of Prim. Yeah, but, but she's not, she, like, a mother figure. She's more of, like, making sure, like, the provider more than, like, an emotional connection. Yeah. I mean, she obviously loves Prim, but she doesn't um she doesn't like parent her yeah and she's not really like motherly yeah she's she's too kind of wrapped up in her own thoughts to be a good mom at this point at least maybe maybe down the road she's a a better mom yeah and cat and katniss thinks that pita would be a really good dad and that's how the chapter ends and he would definitely be a much better parent than katniss yes (laughs) katniss can go hunting and pita can be the stay-at-home dad Yes. So this next new segment is called The Dark Days. And Lucas came up with the name. And it's parallels um, to The Hunger Games and Penem. So we know that Suzanne Collins took a lot of ideas from Greek myths and Roman myths and their society. So the first one is Theseus in the Labyrinth. And the story goes is that the king of Greece offered King Minos a deal if he would stop attacking Athens. Um, So they agreed that each year, seven boys and girls were selected to go to Crete every nine years to feed the Minotaur. Um, Theseus told his father, uh, Theseus is the prince of Greece, I guess you could say. Um, He told his father that he was going as the seventh boy to be sacrificed to the Minotaur so he could try to defeat defeat it. Um, he was going to kill the Minotaur. In the end, Theseus did end up killing, killing it, and cleverly. Um, I guess you could say that Theseus is sort of like Katniss um, defeating the capital. Um, and the king of Greece could be representation represent- of um, the citizens of pre-Panem, like the Dark Days. Hmm, yeah. um, and King Minos could be like the founding figures of the Panem government. Yeah, it's interesting. And it definitely relates to the Harims in that, you know, each year seven boys and girls are selected to like go into kind of this arena type thing where, um, you know, it's an island, right? That uh, they would yeah. go on and... Um, yeah, and for someone to the prince you said of Greece, I think you uh, mentioned that for him to kind of uh, he doesn't sacrifice himself because he beats the Minotaur, but that he kind of risks his own life uh, to take down the capital, which is what a lot of these victors are doing right where we are um, in the series. So yeah, yeah that really connects. Um, I think uh, Susan Collins is probably aware of this this whole. <laughs> yeah. uh, myth story whatever we want to say and then um another thing that comes from roman roman society is the Colosseum, which is like one of the super obvious things um because you have gladiators who fight to the death and if they do if the gladiator does win then they get like like enormous amounts of praise and sometimes money so that especially relates to the victors yeah i mean we can see where susan collins got that idea and you know a lot of people say wow she's like a genius like putting all these things together but she's pretty much pulling from greek mythology like roman mythology all that and present day reality tv shows and all that so yeah she obviously like put that together and everything and she's a genius but she's not as smart as you might think yeah 
Um, so like there are a lot of things in like the current era where you can draw parallels between this and the Hunger Games. Um, you even have a quote from Elizabeth Banks who plays Effie and she said, there are oppressive regimes all over the world that are being toppled by young people using YouTube to start revolutions. There is no greater connection. This book is happening right now. And I guess it's, it's really amazing how like even the cast notices things like this. Yeah, and they bring it attention to, you know, people that are younger that may not be aware of things like that, that, yeah. you know, they've read the books and they hear the actors talking about this, they might go off and research that and look into it. And it's, Susan Collins is, is kind of starting to have that education of, you know, the younger kids that are reading this to have them more aware of what's happening in the world. Yeah, because I remember um, when The Hunger Games was about to come out last year, um, and you had where China, like, because they only accept, like, a certain amount of movies to play each year in their country. Yeah. So when The Hunger Games was able to be able to be played there, like, I remember that there was a lot of attention surrounding that, seeing how, like, a lot of people could become aware of their current situation. And yeah. start thinking more about it. And who knows that, you know, it could inspire, like, these movies and, and books could inspire people to have their own uprisings and own rebellions in their countries where they're being oppressed. I think that's it's so powerful that you think, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a young adult novel. It's not a big deal. But you never know the effect that one idea or one book or something can have on, like, a you know, entire country. Yeah. And you see that, like, you see another thing that connects to the whole series is, like, you see a lot of desensitization towards killing from the, you especially see it in the capital. They're excited for the games. They don't care that 23 other people are going to be killed as long as it's entertaining for them. They don't really care. And, like, there's that scene in The Hunger Games where Hamish is in the capital and he sees those kids playing with, like, wooden swords or something. Yeah. And that's, like, really, it's like a really powerful scene in the movie. And so you see the desensitization in our culture. You see, like, you can, people can play gory video games and watch, like, really terrible and horrifying movies and television shows and not not even like blink because it's they're so used to it like an example is game of thrones mm -hmm. if you've ever watched that i like, haven't it's on my list i want to read the books and then watch the show oh the books are so long <laughs> i know i have it on my shelf i bought it like three years ago but um but like you in game of thrones the tv show you have so many different, like, in the first episode, you see someone get decapitated. So, and then in the later seasons, there's so much blood and death. And, like, I guess it, you don't really think about it in terms like, oh, these are just fictional characters. It doesn't really matter. But it's still something that people need to be conscious about. Conscious about. Yeah, and even, like, you know, we watch these shows and movies, and, like, um, the goriest show I watch is, because my, my brother watches it, so it's something we can watch together, uh, is The Walking Dead. And oh, yeah. There's yes. so much scoring that you watch that. Yeah, well, yeah. I watched the first season. Yeah, the yeah I, I did, too. I'm, like, in the uh, second season now, but, like, the first episode, I was like, oh, my God, there's so much gore. Like, I don't know if I can watch this show. Whatever, I got through the first episode, and then the rest of them were like, oh, I'm good now. Like, it's fine. Even though the gore is still the same level, you get used to it. And, like, the thing is, it's like, it's, the show is really popular, so it's not like it's just, like, a little show that nobody watches. Like, millions and millions of people watch this show, so. Yeah, it just shows how, you know, we may not think it's a big deal, or, like, you know, we get over it pretty quickly, but, you know, we, when you watch people being killed and yeah like you know there's zombies in the walking dead but you know in the world there are places where people are just you know mass murders and you know innocent people children women like so you know for us being in the united states we have a pretty sheltered life where we don't have a lot of those uh difficulties and horrors like right you know outside our front door but and sometimes we can forget that they exist in the world because they're not right in front of us. 
And it's like the things like murder, murders, serial killers or something like that. We, they, we might think like, oh, that's so disgusting, but like it intrigues everybody. Yeah. I mean, even like a lot of, you know, in, in the U.S. there's been, um, I say the U.S. because that's what I'm most familiar with, but you know, we had the Sandy Hook shooting, um, which, you know, hit kind of close to home for me because I um, am around there, as you guys know, I'm around New York City. And, uh, you know, the the Dark Knight Rises theater. Um, yeah. So, and what is horrible about, like, our media in the U.S. is that when something like this happens, the person's face is plastered everywhere. And yeah. so they become, like, famous from it. And so we kind of we encourage that almost by saying, hey, if you kill a bunch of people, you're going to be famous. And, you know, it's it's a very controversial issue. And I don't want to kind of overstep, uh, you know, my my boundaries here. But um, from in what happened in Boston um, earlier in the year where the Boston Marathon, um, you know, backpack exploded and everything. And the one of the brothers behind that was on the cover of Rolling Stone and a lot of people got very angry because of because he was you know seen as kind of like a rock star it wasn't like you know a mugshot on the front it was like you know he was posing and everything so um I think that's something that our society definitely needs to look at that you know we can't keep going on like this something has to change um otherwise you know we're gonna end up like Panem it's it might sound kind of weird to say but I think it's true and so you also see stuff with, like, sacrifices. Like, um, so Katniss sacrifices herself for her sister um, in the first book. And you see, I don't, I'm totally going to butcher this name, but um, Muhammad Bawazizi? I'm not sure how to pronounce the name. But in 2010, yeah, so um, he set himself on fire in, like, a public place to protest the oppression of his society. So you can see that in relation to the Hunger Games really prominently. Yeah, to be like a martyr for the cause. Yeah, because the United States is an extremely privileged country and we don't have like we don't have like revolutions going on or rebellions because compared to other places in the world, our country is a pretty great place. So um when we hear about revolutions and rebellions in places like Egypt and Syria and Libya, we take like a vague interest in it. Like it's not like everything that we talk about or it's not like that we don't care. It's just, it's not really completely on our minds. We would rather be focusing on stuff in the media than things, really important things that are going on in different countries. Definitely. And there is one shot. Do you know the shot in the Catching Fire trailer where you? it's kind of like this kind of orange glow and you can see kind of people like it, um, kind of like a fight happening. And there's one like main person holding up this kind of canvas with the red oh, yeah, Mockingjay pin. Yeah, yeah, there's an image of and I, I want to say the Egypt revolution, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah, I think it is because I saw like something about that. Yeah, where it's like it's really the exact same pose. And I almost wonder if, you know, Francis Lawrence set that up to be like that, to show that, hey, look, you know, this may be a futuristic movie, but these issues are happening today, right now in our world. That's all I have. Yeah, no, that's a great segment. I, I like relating it to uh, what's happening in our world and, and what, you know, happened beforehand. It's nice to see how it all ties in. And this book is more than just, you know a novel and something to read for fun it's the themes and and everything in it are definitely very significant to to everything in our world so it's uh it's good to see it in um that kind of light because we usually don't do that on the show so i like doing that well that was a great episode i'm glad you could be on the show Haley. it was great having you on uh we have yeah definitely of course uh so i have a couple plugs here to mention for this episode um as you guys know i uh, recently was not really really recently I keep saying recently every episode but it's longer and longer uh, back in March uh, I was hired as a social media curator so if you're interested in any social media guidance or you want to learn more about that um, you can email us or you can tweet me personally at Kira Deneen K-I-R-A-D-I-N-E-E-N 
You can also email us with Hunger Games related topics because that's mostly pretty much what we talk about. Uh, and that includes topics on previous episodes. Um, I like when you guys email in about, you know, like something on like episode 10 or something. It's always fun to read those <laughs> because we've probably changed our minds and evolved since then and everything. Um, so you can email us at nightlockpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I always like reading those and I, I try to get back to you guys. Sometimes I'm really bad about it, but eventually I will get back to you. Um, even if it's months later, but most of the time I'm good. So you can like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash nightlockpodcast. You can follow us on Twitter at nightlockpod, P-O-D. You can follow Haley on Twitter at hey, H-A-Y-Y-6747. You could follow me on Twitter, like I said before, at K-I-R-A-D-I-N-E-E-N. I meant one R. Don't know if I said two there, but you know how to spell my name at this point, guys. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, and while you're there, give us a little review. Um, all of those links are on our website somewhere. The important ones are in the sidebar on the right. Yes, on the right. Okay. Um, and you can also sign up for email alerts to keep track of just the major things. Um, so if there's a major announcement, I'll put it on the website. Anytime I make a, uh, uh, upload an episode or make a major announcement, you will be clued in. All right, and I wanted to give Haley a chance to plug her blog. Um, so, yeah, I run a young adult book blog. Um, it's called Confessions of a Book Addict, and we're actually um, an affiliate of Nightlock. Yes. <laughs> so we post um, tons of book reviews, and sometimes we have giveaways and blog tours. And so, yeah, you should check it out. Um, the URL is bookaddictsblog.blogspot.com so you should check it out and if you can't remember that um i think you're on our affiliates tab so if you just click affiliates and just scroll through until you see it um you could do it that way too so whatever's easiest for you guys uh so as we like to do we want to end the show with two book recommendations but they're both haley's because i'm running out of books so um if you want to email in your own book recommendation, you can uh, email us and you can include a short summary. Um, makes my job easier if I put it in the uh, in the show. Um, if you don't, I will copy and paste it from somewhere on the internet. So however you <laughs> want to do it. All right, Haley, what do you have for our listeners? Okay, so the first recommendation is Legend by Marie Lu. Um, it takes place in post-apocalyptic Western United States. Um, and it's from the dual perspectives of Day and June. Day is the world's most famous criminal, and June is a prodigy being groomed for the military. Huh. It takes place in a really militaristic world, which is, I guess you could say, it's really similar to the Hunger Games because of that and it's like a really fantastic book it sounds interesting and it definitely like totally sounds like the hunger games like post-apocalyptic i always have trouble saying that um and just like you know military and all that that's uh it sounds cool yeah and the second one you probably heard of it because of all the previews that um for the movie that comes out november 1st um it's ender's game by orson scott card um, it's a sci-fi novel written in the 80s, um, and the movie, like I said, comes out November 1st, which I'm really excited for. Um, a gover- government agencies um, groom children to become military prodigies um, to defeat the alien race they're fighting. Ender Wigan is the story's main character. He becomes both a leader in the battle school, which is where he, where most of the story takes place, and in the battle room, which is where he gets his training. Um, and that makes him the best choice to be the general that Earth needs. And it's a really great book if you like sci-fi novels and dystopian. So, yeah. Which you do because you listen to this podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have a question for you about Ender's Game. Is there like a billion books in that series or is there like I was always confused because I wanted to read it and I was like searching to see like what the first book was and like how many books there were and I don't know if it's me but I was really confused. Well I read the first one because it was my summer reading assignment for my freshman year in high school. That's awesome. Um, I wish my high school was like that. (laughs) And then so that's like the first book in the series and I think that there's there's one I know there's at least three i'm pretty sure okay because there's one about like it's takes it's the point of view of one of the 
secondary characters. I'm looking right now. I think there's four books. Okay, yeah. I don't know where I got, like, maybe I was looking up, like, all the books he's written or something, because, as you said, this was uh, published in the 80s, so it's definitely older, but it's becoming really, like, relevant um, with the movie coming out and everything. You have, because the first book is called Ender's Game. The second one is Speaker for the Dead. The third one is Xenocide, I guess you pronounce it like that. Hmm. And then the last one is Children of the Mind. And then there's, like, a like a spinoff series, I guess you could say, um, called Ender's Shadow. Oh, okay. Maybe, like, I was looking at all of those as one yeah. series. So, yeah. So he has, like, the main series, the Ender Saga, and then you have the Shadow series, which is a spinoff of Ender's Game. Oh, okay, cool. So if you like mm-hmm. that book, look look all those up as, uh, you know, sequels and everything. All right. Well, I think that ends our show. Um, Thanks again, Haley, for coming on. It was a great show. We had good discussion. Um, You know, awesome stuff. So, and we will uh, have more episodes for you uh, in November. We'll, uh, you know, since it's the Catching Fire month, uh, as I like to think of it, uh, we'll have some more episodes than we normally do. Um, So far, I have uh, three in mind. So uh, we'll... uh, see how many i end up uh, producing but i think it's going to be at least three um so definitely stay tuned we'll be much more active in november so all right well that's episode 51 bye bye